I want to invite you to turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 8. We are in our 10-week series that we have entitled Champion. Really walking through this chapter, this key, rich, amazing chapter in the book of Romans that reminds you and reminds me that we have the privilege if we've placed our trust in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, believing in his perfect life lived in replacement of our sinful life, that he died on the cross for our sins, that he rose again three days later. And if you placed your trust in that and in that alone, not in the good that you do or have done, but in the perfection that Jesus Christ has done for you through his life, death, and resurrection, then Jesus Christ today is your champion. And because he is my champion, then I've been promised to live a life that's not a life of a victim, but a life of a victor in Jesus Christ. And so therefore, I can live the life of a champion, not in my own strength, but in the strength that is provided to me by the Holy Spirit through Jesus Christ to live a victorious life, to live the life of a champion as well. And so that's what we've been looking at. We're in the fourth week of this series that will run through to the beginning um, of Thanksgiving. And, uh, and man, I hope that you've been encouraged already. I know that God has ministered to my own heart, just reminding myself of who I am in Jesus Christ. And isn't that often a struggle for us? Last week, we, we looked at just the identity issues that we often struggle with. Now, even though those of us who are followers of Jesus Christ and know that, that Jesus Christ came to fill that God-sized void inside of us that all of us have before we come to Jesus Christ, that really point us to our need for Jesus Christ, that even though we used to live a life that looked to fill that void with pleasures and accomplishments and possessions and, and all different types of things and came to the realization that nothing could fill that void, that there was still a level of dissatisfaction within us and how God used that to open up our eyes to realize that that void that lies in every one of us can only be filled by the person and work of Jesus Christ, that if we placed our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, and even though we have a new identity in Christ, how often we can forget who we are, right? And we can start to define ourselves by other things. And last week, we looked at that idea of how our identity shapes our reality, And so we're going to continue talking about our identity in verses 14 through 17 of this chapter this morning, and really the title of this message is just Identity Issues Part 2, and looking at what we and who we are in Jesus Christ. Here's the idea that I want you to get today from verses 14 through 17, and I'll give it to you right now, and if you're taking notes, I encourage you to write this down. Your identity defeats your anxiety. Identity defeats anxiety. And I think I need to give definition to what I mean by anxiety. Here's what I mean by anxiety. The fears that often paralyze us from experiencing the victory that is ours in Jesus Christ. That's what fear does, right? Fear and what we choose to do, it determines whether or not we sin. Fear is not a sin, but what we choose to do with it is what determines whether or not we sin or not. And so when I say that our identity defeats anxiety, I'm speaking of the fears that oftentimes paralyze us from experiencing the victory that is ours in Jesus Christ. Now I think when I 
talk about anxiety, I need to be clear about what I'm not talking about as well. Here's what I'm not talking about. I'm not referring to the type of anxiety, the medical type of anxiety that is caused by chemical imbalances in the brain. It's not what we're talking about. We're not talking about a medical condition that some individuals may have to where there's a chemical imbalance and they can't make the connections between what is, tr- what is truth and allow that to speak to what they feel. Some of you know my story. My brother wouldn't mind mentioning that, that that's something that he had to battle with. And so he's on medication to help him do that. Why? Because he medically needs it. That's not the type of anxiety we're talking about. We're talking about the anxiety, the fears that there's not a chemical, there's not a medical condition. It's just a matter of what are we choosing to listen to? That oftentimes if we choose to listen to that anxiety, to listen to that fear, it paralyzes us from experiencing the victory that Jesus Christ desires us to experience in him. And what do I mean by fear? You know, I was thinking of my own life because I struggle with fear, with anxiety of what I'm choosing to believe. And, And I really thought this week, and I thought I think we can divide the fears that we struggle with, the anxiety that we struggle with in four main categories. Here's the first one, fear of rejection, the anxiety of being rejected. We spent a lot of time talking about that when we were walking through verses one through four, and so I don't want to spend a lot of time elaborating that. You can go to our website, you can watch that, you can subscribe to our podcast, you can listen to that. But the fear of rejection, here's what the fear of rejection preaches. Here's what it says. Here's the thoughts that override our mind when we allow that anxiety, this type of fear, to run rampant in our thoughts. Fear of rejection says this, what if I'm not good enough? Struggle with that? What if I haven't done enough? Fear of rejection. Here's another category of fear or anxiety I think that we struggle with. Fear or anxiety of failure. Now don't raise your hand. I'm going to be transparent with you. I'm going to raise my hand. That's a big one for me. See, the fear of failure says this. What if I'm not strong enough? What if I'm not strong enough? This responsibility that I've been given, this task that I've been given, this calling that God wants me to venture out in, this job responsibility, whatever it is, and that fear of failure rears its ugly head and it just continues to grow as you allow that preaching that it loves to say, what if you're not strong enough? You're not strong enough. What if you're not equipped enough? Whatever. That fear of failure. It's a category. Many of us struggle with it in here. Here's another one, fear of others. Here's what fear of others loves to preach. What if I'm not accepted? That you this morning? Like that's the thing that's just totally ruling your life right now is this fear of others, this looking for approval or acceptance in some person and if they would just give it to me and that fear of others just is totally wreaking havoc and paralyzing you from experiencing the victory that Jesus Christ desires you to experience. Here's the last one, fear of the future. Fear of the future. Like here's what the fear of the future preaches. What if I'm not prepared for what's ahead? I don't know what's coming. I don't know what this diagnosis is going to 
say, what this doctor is going to tell me. I don't know if, if this job interview is going to work out. I don't know if this relationship is going to make it. I don't know and fill in the blank in the fear of the future. And it's just preaching at you every day and you're listening to it. What if you're not prepared? What if I'm not prepared for what lies ahead? And here's what we need to understand is that your identity as a follower of Jesus Christ and my identity as a follower of Jesus Christ is rooted in what Christ has done for me. My anxiety is rooted in what I believe I can do. Think about it. When I'm allowing anxiety to rule the day and fear to rule the day, it really, at the end of the day, is centered on what I believe I can or can't do. Do you notice every one of those fears that I mentioned and what they preach? They all had a similarity. They all used the word I. And what I want us to see this morning is that your identity and my identity in Jesus Christ can defeat the anxiety that so often plagues me in my life. But I have to listen, and I have to choose to tune in to the right message. Because my identity is going to preach one thing, and my anxiety is going to preach another. And I said this last week, and this isn't new with me, you're the preacher you listen to more than anyone else. Way more than me. Way more than your favorite person on YouTube, or the favorite podcast that you listen to, or somebody on TV that you may tune in when you can't go to sleep one night. Like, you're the preacher that you listen to more than anyone else. So here's the choice. What message are we going to tune into? The message that anxiety loves to preach, or the message that our identity in Christ loves to preach? Because that's really what it boils down to when I ask this question, man, how does my identity, the who I am, defeat my anxiety, the what ifs? It's by choosing what to listen to, choosing to listen to what my identity desires to preach to my anxiety. And so what I want to do this morning, we're going to pray here in a minute, but what I want to do this morning is just walk through verses 14, 15, 16, and 17 and see what our identity in Jesus Christ preaches and what the Lord desires us to listen to. So would you pray with me as I pray out loud? God, I pray today that, Lord, as your word is opened and as we read it, Lord, we pray that you would give us eyes to see what you want us to see and ears to hear what you want us to hear. Be sensitive to what the Spirit wants to say to us today. Lord, we know that when your word is open, your mouth is open. So it's not a matter of praying whether or not you're going to speak. It's praying that we would obey. Lord, so often myself and all of us in this room, we so often choose to listen to what anxiety, what our fear wants to preach. But as we're going to look at in this passage of Scripture, Lord, we're no longer slaves to fear. God, may we listen to what our identity in Jesus Christ preaches to us and the victory of the message. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Here's the first thing that our identity in Jesus Christ preaches. Look at verse 14. It says, for all who are led, willing, led, that idea of led has the idea of willingly, 
Like, it's not like I have to do this. No, I want to do this. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. Remember in verses 12 and 13 last week in our message that we talked about last week about how our identity shapes our reality? We talked about how, how we're champions in Christ, we're champions because of Christ, we're champions who live for Christ. And in verse 12, it says, listen, we're debtors, but not in a bad way. Like, our identity gives us a responsibility that we want to obey what the Spirit desires us to do. And remember that in the end of verse 13, it says, if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Like there's this desire in you to constantly grow in saying no to the flesh and yes to the Spirit. And the reason why we can say no to the flesh and yes to the Spirit is verse 14. Because all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. Spent a lot of time talking about this, and so I'm not going to belabor this point, but here's the first thing that I see our identity preaches to us as followers of Jesus Christ. Our identity preaches this, look where you've come from and where you desire to go. Like our identity says, is, wait a minute. Like you're in a situation right now and that fear of failure, man, I'm not good enough or I haven't done enough starts rearing its ugly head or that fear of failure, my man, what if I'm not strong enough and you're battling whether you're walking through a sin struggle right now or you're enduring suffering right now or whatever circumstance it is and it's got you bogged down and you're thinking about that fear rather than understanding and allowing the identity to preach to you, you're listening to what your fear wants to preach to you. And what our identity says is, wait a minute, don't listen to whether or not you're good enough or whether you've done enough or whether you're strong enough. Wait a minute, look at what the Spirit is doing and has done in you. Look at how far you've come. And not in a prideful way, not in an arrogant way. I mean, 2 Corinthians 10, 17 says this, that the one who boasts, boasts in the Lord. But it's really looking at my life and saying, wait a minute, I'm struggling right now with this, but i got to stop and think to myself, wait a minute, I'm a child of God. I've been given victory in Jesus Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit who lives in me. Let me reflect on the journey that God has had me on in the past. Let me look at how far I've come. Yes, God, I'm not yet what I should be. I'm not always what I should be, and I'm not yet what I could be. But praise God, as we talked about the past few weeks, I'm not who I used to be. That's evidence that I'm a child of God. And I need to preach that to me when I want to fall into what we described as religion. What do I have to do? I haven't done enough. And that standard that will never be satisfied, which is why Jesus Christ came. And let me look at what you've done. Let me look at how far I've come. Let me look at that. Let me look at where I've come from and where my heart desires to go. Lord, that's a testimony to who I am. God, I'm going to listen to what the identity desires to preach. You remember when the craze, maybe I'm out of touch, but remember when the craze was scrapbooking? Remember that? How many of you were into scrapbooking? Raise your hand. I'm looking for all the dudes. I see those hands. Remember when that was big? Maybe it still is. Remember when Lori was big into that? And you know what? Actually, not that I did it, but I loved the result of it. 
like to be able to get all these albums and to be able to look through them and be able to see, man, I remember that vacation and how awesome it was. And man, look at how small our kids were. Look how little they were. Look at how thin I was. You know, all those different types of things, right? That you, you lo- I don't know about you, but I love to reminisce on that stuff. I love to pull out those picture albums and look back. And even now, my kids are older. They love to find the high school albums of Lori and I and to look at what we looked like when we were 16, 17, 18, pulling out pictures of what we looked like when we were little kids and all that. You know, it's fun to reminisce, isn't it? It's fun to think back at, man, I forgot about how awesome that was. Man, I forgot about that thing that happened just in a, in a way that was only could be attributed to by God. Like, I, I forgot about that, and, man, I'm, I'm looking back, and whether it's in this album or it's on my computer or whatever I do, man, I'm reminded of that, or whether it's on Facebook, this happened a year ago, or whatever it is. Like, we need to do that in our Christian walk. Like, we need to stop and turn the channel And say, I'm no longer listening to the fear of rejection and the fear of failure. No, no, no. That's a message that leads to nowhere. I'm going to turn the channel and listen to what identity is preaching. And identity is preaching is, wait a minute, you know why you know you're a child of God? Is look how far you've come and look where you desire to go. And yes, we fall and yes, we make mistakes. But that's the conviction of the Holy Spirit that desires us to get back up to repent and to keep serving Him. Listen. That's what our identity preaches. When the fear of rejection and the fear of failure want to raise its ugly head, here's the second thing that our identity preaches. Look at verses 15 and 16. So good. It says, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. Like, there it is. There it is. What do we say? Identity defeats anxiety. Paul says, for you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but what did we receive? But you've received the spirit of adoptions as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. And the spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Here's the second thing our identity preaches. Not only look at how far you've come and where you desire to go, that's a sign that you have the spirit. The spirit is a sign of your identity, of your salvation. But here's the second thing our identity preaches. Remember how you're loved, and the assurance you've been given. Like, is that what the Holy Spirit wants to say to you today? Bob, Susan, Jackie, remember that you're loved and the assurance that you've been given that testifies to that. See, I think this second thing that our identity preaches that's found in these, in these verses, you know, what, you know what it's in response to? It's in response to that fear of others that so often we want to listen to. Remember what that fear of others says? What if I'm not accepted? And how many of us are totally enslaved to the approval and the acceptance of others. It drives us. Can't say no to that because what would that person think of me? Have to say yes to that because what would this person think of me? Can't say yes to that because what would this person think of me? I got to do this. I can't do this. I, 
I, I don't want to do this. I have to do this. And on and on and on it goes because you are and I are and I am driven by that fear of others, that desire to want to be accepted, that desire for someone's approval. And these two verses say right here, I'm no longer a slave to fear. Where I need to look for my identity, where I need to look for my acceptance, where I need to look for my approval is found right here in these verses. Me bringing myself back to the only place, say only, only place that I will experience true confidence, true acceptance, true assurance for this life and the life to come. And it's rooted in this reality that I am loved by God. If I look to my, for my approval and my acceptance in any other person besides God and his love for me, I am going to struggle with the fear of others. Because I can't love you perfectly. I can't love my wife Lori perfectly. She can't love me perfectly. I can't perfectly be your pastor. You can't perfectly be a person of this church. You can't perfectly be a friend. And it's not that we shouldn't enjoy community and shouldn't enjoy relationships and that marriages and relationships and friendships are God-given. But when we look to those things to give us, the only, to give us what God can only give us, we're going to struggle with this. We're going to struggle with this fear of approval and acceptance, fear of others. And I love how Paul just shares the remedy. And he does it through the picture of adoption. See, adoption was, was not familiar with the Jewish community, but it was extremely familiar with the Roman community. Now, I'm going to tell you something that's just going to blow your minds. You ready for this? The reason why that Paul uses the analogy of adoption is because it was familiar to the Romans. And what book are we reading? Romans. Told you, blow your mind. That's why Paul uses this analogy, because it was familiar to them. Let me give you how the process of Roman adoption, what it involved. And you're going to see many of the similarities to even what's involved in our culture today with adoption. Here's the first, first thing involved with this process of Roman adoption. The boy's legal and social relationship to his natural family was severed. He was no longer legal bound to his former family. That social status that his former family provided was no longer existed because here's what would oftentimes happen if you were if you were a roman and you had um for lack of a better word slaves in your home then what you would do is if you had a a a, a boy that was helped around the house and different things like that what you would do is you would adopt them because you could not produce a son to carry on your line and to, and to have your inheritance and those types of things. So the Romans would adopt male children to be their children so that their line or their lineage could keep going on. That's what they would do. And so the first process, the first thing involved in Roman adoption is, hey, your formal social status and who you were before, your legal status, totally done away with. Here's another thing. You're placed permanently into their new family. Couldn't renege on it. 
You're placed permanently in that new family. Here's the third thing. All of that child's previous debts and other obligations were eradicated. They were done. Written off. Couldn't be brought back up again. Starting to see the correlation. Starting to put the pieces together. Here's another one. I love this one. Not that the other ones weren't awesome. But here's, here's another one. It required, this adoption required witnesses who could testify, if necessary, to any challenge of the adoption after the father's death. So there had to be witnesses there. You know what's interesting as I read through these? This is very familiar to what, what adoption looks like today. The church that I came previously, we had, we had an, uh, an amazing ministry that helped, helped people adopt and, and encourage foster care and and just newsflash, that's something that we want to develop here and, and, and get back to and grow. And what was so awesome, I had so many privileges to go to a courthouse and to sit in that courtroom and see adoptions. And to see children that were in the foster care system and see a family take that foster care child, bring them into their home and actually adopt them. And it was so cool to see how all that went down. And every single time I went to one, I was a blubbering mess. Because what would happen is, is that judge would, would speak to the child and ask the child why they wanted to be adopted. And then that judge would say to the parents, do you realize what you're doing? Do you realize that now, you'd have, now that child is no longer has that name? Now that child no longer is bound under those things? Now everything that you have, that you have is theirs and you would have to agree to all that and then you would have witnesses there to testify of it. And the amazing gospel implications that are communicated through that today. And that's why Paul used it. And the amazing thing about the witnesses piece is look what you see in verse 16. Paul says the Spirit himself bears witness. That's why he said it. He said, Romans, just like you need witnesses when you adopt a child to be your own, here's your greatest witness. The Holy Spirit. He bears witness with our spirit that we're children of God. And how many times have you struggled with this? And how many times have I struggled with where my spirit wants to say, wait a minute, I need to look to the acceptance of others and the approval of others to give me significance. That's so often what my spirit says. But what I love is the Holy Spirit in those times, if I'm willing to listen, preaches against that fear and says, wait a minute, remember you're loved by God. Remember the assurance that you've been given. Listen to me and listen to what I'm trying to preach to you. Wait a minute, I'm your witness. And even when you're too weak to believe it, I'm telling you of that reality. You're a child of God. You're no longer a slave to fear. And we have the right, not because of what we've done, but because of what Jesus has done, that like Galatians 4, 6 says, which is a crop reference to what we see in verse 15, Galatians 4, 6 says, because you're sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Like even when I don't want to cry it, the Holy Spirit compels me and motivates me. He says, man, you need to turn your eyes to the one thing that can truly give you what you're searching for. I love what J.R. Packer, who's a well-known theologian, says this. What is a Christian? He says, the question can be answered in many ways, but the richest answer I know 
is that a Christian is one who has God as father. If you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, find out how much he or she makes of the thought of being God's child and having God as his or her father. Like We need to tune into that message. We need to change the station on the fear of others. And then I need to be that this acceptance and this approval of others is what gives me my identity. No, 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 no. I don't need to look for that because I have it. I'm loved by God. And I get to call God Almighty, the creator of the universe, the God that spoke to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Moses, and so many other people, that I get to call that God Daddy. That's where that fear of others starts to just drift away. You know, I was talking to Lily and Lucas last night. If you don't know, those are the names of my kids. And I was thinking about this message. And I, I thought of ask, I asked them this question when we were at dinner. And I said, hey, what would you, is it weird to you when someone calls me, you know, some people just call me Johnny, which is fine. Other people might say Pastor Johnny, Mr. Pereira, Mr. Johnny. They're like, that's so weird. They're like, that's so weird. And I was like, would it be weird if I asked you to call me that? They're like, totally. Why? Because they're like, because you're our dad. And the idea of calling God daddy or dad is not a disrespectful thing. It's not that we don't have reverence for God, but it reminds us of the relational capital that we have with our God and that we're one of his children, that that name drives home different than any other. See, you would never think, if you're a child here this morning or a teenager, you would never think of calling me dad. It'd be very weird. Why? Because you're not one of my kids. Another way to illustrate it, I, and I had permission to use this illustration, just so you know, like, guys, if you ever want to use your wife as an illustration, get permission first. Crucial marriage 101. You didn't think you were going to get a message on marriage today, did you? That right there will do you wonders. So I asked Lori about this. So she taught sixth grade for a lot of years. And you would never think, this, what I'm about to share with you, because Lori is so loving and so jovial and just like full of life, right? That's one of the reasons why I love her. You know what they used to call her students, used to call her Mrs. Piranha. <laughs> Not Pereira, Piranha. Because she meant business, man. Like you didn't mess around in her classroom. And those students saw her a certain way. They never would call her Lori, let alone mom. Why? Because they didn't have that relationship with her. They towered in fear of Mrs. Piranha because they never saw her in any other way. And the reason why I share those things is so that we can bring ourselves back to the reality that our identity desires to preach to us, that the Holy Spirit bears witness to, is that I don't need to stand and cower 
in my relationship to God that I need to fear failure, I need to fear rejection or this fear of others. Why? Because I'm accepted and loved by the one that truly matters and it's God Almighty and I get to call him Daddy. You know, when we think of our justification of being declared righteous by God, that's a, that's a doctrinal term and it's right that, that because of Jesus Christ, God as our judge declared us righteous, not because of our own good, but because of Christ, what Christ has done. We think of God as judge, not super warm and fuzzy, but at the same time, important. When we think of our regeneration, right, think about, think about that, like how it says that we're no longer the old, but the new has come. We're a new creation in Christ Jesus. That's the doctrinal term of regeneration. We're made alive again. That's thinking of God as creator. Awesome term, but not very relational. But what I love is when we think of this adoption and what Paul is bringing ourselves back to, and he can mention various aspects of God. But as he's driving home our identity, he doesn't speak of God as judge. He doesn't speak of God as creator. He speaks of God as father. Because he wants us, when we think of our identity, to remind ourselves that we're loved by God. I want you to repeat these things. Here's the first thing I want you to repeat. I am accepted by God. Repeat it. I am accepted by God. Here's the second thing. I am loved by God. I am loved by God. Here's the third thing. God is my father. Repeat it. God is Here's what identity wants to preach. Remember what you've been given and the assurance that you've been given. Here's the third thing, and it's found in verse 17, and we'll be done. He says, if children, like, we get to call God Daddy. Like we're children of God, but it doesn't stop there. He says if we're children, then here's another ramification. We're heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. Let's let's not just focus on the relational dynamic we have, but let's focus on the promises and the inheritance that we've been given by God through Jesus Christ. He says, provided we suffer with him in order that we may be glorified with him. So here's what it's not saying. It's saying, well, you may not suffer with him as a follower of Jesus Christ. No, that's not what it's saying. It's saying, once again, to go back to verse 14, all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. So there's going to be this desire for me to endure difficulty and endure suffering and not run away. There's this desire in me to suffer knowing that I'm going to experience eternal glory with him forever. So here's the third thing our identity preaches. Rejoice in the promises you have in the perspective it provides. See, this speaks to the fear of the future. It says, what if I'm not prepared for what's ahead? I don't know what's coming down the road. I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. I don't know what's going to happen in 10 minutes. Man, what I bring myself back to is, wait a minute, here's what I do know. I know the promises that I've been given and the perspective it provides. See, those promises that God has given us through our identity in Jesus Christ, our inheritance, man, they provide us tremendous clarity in the midst of difficulty. And what I love in this passage of Scripture is that Paul's just super transparent here. 
Because here's what he says, our lives as followers of Jesus Christ are not free from difficulty and struggle and suffering. Like it totally debunks the prosperity gospel junk that says God wants you to be healthy, wealthy, and wise, and if you're not, there's something wrong with you. It's not there. Trust me, we all want to look for that, right? Don't you want to be healthy, wealthy, and wise? But that's not the gospel. Rather, what it says is, here's the promises you've been given. This is what your identity is preaching. This is the clarity it gives you in the midst of difficulty. This is what you need to preach when the message and the preaching of fear of the future is wailing in your mind. It's time to turn the channel and to listen in our identity and what the Holy Spirit wants to communicate. Man, rejoice in the promises that you've been given and the perspective it applies. It provides for you today. And what promises have I been given? And I want to go through these. Here's the first one. Man, I've been given a heavenly home. And I'm thankful for God's blessings in my life up to this point. So thankful. I'm thankful to look at so many that I don't have time to mention and be like, God, there's where I can see you were good, and there's where I can see you were good, and there's where I can see you were good, where I wanted you to do that so much, and I'm so thankful that you didn't do that because now I can see it. I mean, there's so many blessings that we see in this present life that we're on this planet, but this ain't my home. And if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, this isn't your home. I've been given a heavenly home, and Jesus makes mention of this in a passage that many of us know well in John 14, 1 through 3. But what I find is so interesting is the way Jesus starts off this passage. Because he starts off not talking about the heavenly home, but he talks about the perspective that it provides. Because in verse 1 he says, let not your hearts be troubled. Jesus says, let me give you some clarity in the midst of your difficulty. Let me give you some promises that give you perspective to this present time that you're in. Let not your hearts be troubled. Why, Jesus? He says, believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again, will take you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. You know what I love about this? Is this heavenly home, you know what Jesus says? I'm the provider of this home. You can't afford it. I bought it. I'm the provider of this home. I'm the builder of this home. And I'm the revealer of this home. Makes me think of HGTV. You know that show, Fixer Upper, Chip and Joanna Gaines? Yeah, that's right. I'm confident enough in my masculinity to say I watch that. You know what they do? They have that big board right on wheels of the old house, and then they pull it away, and it's the reveal. And like, we built this home, now we're going to reveal this home. Man, we'll never fully be able to understand with our finite minds how awesome that's going to be. And it's not so much as like, man, I hope Jesus builds me a 15-room mansion with a, with a slide from the up top to go down in a little pool and whatever, and let me just focus on me. That's not the reality. But it's this reality that, man, I have a home that I'm going to get to enjoy for all of eternity. And it's not that I'm not thankful and that God doesn't give us blessings here on this earth, but man, this stuff goes away. And I get a home and I get Jesus for all of eternity. I get a heavenly home. Here's another thing we get. And this is not as familiar to many of us. 
I get a heavenly banquet. Anybody else like to eat in here? I'm hungry right now. Many of you don't know this, but there's something called the marriage supper of the Lamb. And it's not given a lot of detail in Scripture, but it's this idea that we are going to dine with God when all of his people, when this world is over, we're going to gather together and we're going to have a massive party. Look at what Revelation 19, verses 6 through 9 says. It says, Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters and like the sound of a mighty peals of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah! For the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory. The marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready like Jesus Christ has come back, and he's come for his bride, his church. And it was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, write this, Blessed are those who are invited, here it is, to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. Don't you hate it when you don't get invited to an awesome party and you hear about it later? It really stinks. But praise God, my approval is not found in others, right? And what this tells me is, man, there's going to be some massive party in heaven. And you and I get to be a part of it. Man, I just don't have a home, man. There's a heavenly banquet, a heavenly party awaiting me. Here's the third thing. Man, we get to reign with Christ for all of eternity. I don't know exactly what that entails, but here's what I love. It doesn't mean I'm going to be sitting on a cloud with some little wings on my back playing a harp for all of eternity. That heaven stinks. That does not get me going in the morning. But it's the idea that we're going we're gonna to have responsibilities in heaven for all, or on this new heaven and new earth for all of eternity. And Paul mentions that to Timothy in 2 Timothy 2.12. Remember, Paul's about to die, and he's now all of a sudden he's thinking about these things. And he says, if we endure, we will also reign with him. Like there's a promise that will reign, that it's worth enduring suffering. It's worth walking through this life and enduring and saying no to temptation and saying no to fear. Man, it's worth it because we're going to reign one day with Christ. Here's another one. We get a likeness to Christ. 1 John 3, 2 says this, Beloved, we're God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. You know, you look to passages of Scripture, Jesus after he resurrects and he appears in one place and all of a sudden he appears in another. Just think of it, man, no traffic. Traffic jam, going to the next thing. Not that there'd be that in heaven because that's a sinful thing. But just think of it. Whatever you see that Jesus does after he raises himself from the dead by the power of the Holy Spirit, that's the type of body that you and I get. We get to be like Christ. It's awesome. Here's the last thing, and here's the best thing. We get to enjoy God for all of eternity. See, there's no heaven without God. There's no heaven without Christ. There's no heaven without the Holy Spirit, but we get to enjoy him forever. Man, there's so many questions I have for God. How about you? <laughs> and I have all of eternity to ask him. Psalm 73 says this, Where I have in heaven but you. 
and there's nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. All right, I need my guys to come on up here quick. You know, oftentimes, I think of eternity. I was trying to think of how to, how to get it across. And here, Dan, you can hold this side, and Tony go, all, or Joey go all the way down to the end. And think of eternity as this rope, right? And so often, we place all of our time and energy and thought into this little red piece that is our life on this earth. And we allow the fear of anxiety and the fear of failure and the fear of others and the fear of the future to so bog us down. But what Paul is telling us in Romans 8 verses 14 through 17 is let's stop just thinking and being so short-sighted and think about just what we have on this earth or what we don't have. And let's think about everything that we have in Jesus Christ. Let's think about this entire eternity that we get to experience all the blessings and let's allow all of this to define us in this rather than allowing this to define what we think of all of eternity. And our identity defeats our anxiety. Just a matter of what are we going to preach and what message are we going to listen to we're going to listen to what our identity preaches and what the Holy Spirit bears witness with our spirit or are we going to listen to what fear preaches which leads us to nowhere which leads us to frustration which leads us to just being stuck in the mud and being paralyzed from experiencing the victory that Jesus Christ has given us. I don't know about you, but man, I want to remind myself more about who I have and what I've been given in Jesus Christ so that this life makes the most impact it can, not for me, but for God's glory.